it's good to see you all again. As if you had some other place to go. <laughs> um, but seriously, it's good to it's good to see you and, and, and be with you in this in this way and in this format and in this commitment and uh, at this time in the world that we're all learning um, how to make sense of and how to live in, I guess, in a sense. I don't know what it's like for you on this particular afternoon, but uh, sitting here uh, waiting for everyone to arrive, I was reflecting on my own retreat experience and Remembering how uh, much I can enjoy being in the uh, Dharma Hall and waiting to just sit maybe in a period that's not teacher-led or hear some instructions when there's a teacher in the room. Or just happy to be on retreat. and The mind is kind of buoyant and the heart is open and everything's uh, agreeable. And it's just as easy to remember any given afternoon or morning when um, the mind was tight and there was some rigidity. And in some way, I seem to be rejecting my experience or the environment or some relationship. Or and I think about that sometimes when I come in to teach that I you know, have a general sense of where the, where the group is, sort of paying attention in a particular kind of way that over time we learn how to do and, <clears throat> so that we can offer what we think is most needed. But um, I'm just aware that I don't know how you are from another, from another perspective. That one is also true. And here you are, showing up. We're doing it. <laughs> what else can we do? That's not the talk. <laughs> so Vinny uh, talked this morning about the third foundation of mindfulness in Pali, the third foundation is uh, citta, C-I-T-T-A, and this can be mind or mental formations, mental fabrications, mental states, uh, different ways that uh, the mind manifests itself in moment-to-moment -moment experience. So I'll say a little bit uh, about this uh, category or pasture or foundation or establishment of mindfulness. And uh, we'll do a little, little, a little trial run meditation, a little guided practice, and then we'll, we'll sort of close the, um, sort of the talk part of it and, and we'll do a little bit of, a little bit of practice like we've been doing each other afternoon. 
Um, one of you asked in uh, interview uh, what I thought was both a simple and really, really astute and important question. And that question was simply, and I heard it as what I would call a clarifying question. And that person asked, is mind something to watch and to be aware of like other objects? And I might be paraphrasing. And so I, I thought I would just start there and say, yes, that's absolutely correct. That is uh, one of the messages that uh, Vinny offered this morning and that the Buddha offered in the creation of this map, this model of the four, foundation, four foundations of mindfulness. One teacher said that the role of objects is to be known. And the role of awareness is to know objects. A really simple and really simple. The role of objects is to be known. And the role of awareness is to know the objects. And these these different foundations are basically providing us with a list of objects which are uh, a way to understand uh, our life as we experience it. The phenomenology of being a human being and experiencing the world around us. Knowing in this example refers to understanding what something is in its most basic form. So, for example, a thought is a thought. That's it. Planning is planning. Nothing more. Planning is happening. Contraction is contraction. Just that. Spaced out is spaced out. I don't know if there's a poly word for spaced out or not. <laughs> distraction is distraction and, and so forth and so on, right? Since according to Buddhist theory, mind is the source of dukkha, or distress, or dissatisfaction, or unsatisfactoriness. Under, understanding our mind is a very reliable way to the alleviation or the reduction of this dukkha. Right? Uh, Vinny referenced, uh, I believe, the opening line to the Dhammapada, and I might have a different translation. The mind is the forerunner of all things. The mind is the forerunner of all things. So how we relate to our own mind conditions or colors how we experience our whole life. The events that are happening to us, our encounters with other people, The mind is a forerunner of all things because how we relate to it shapes the world based on our perceptions. 
So eventually, if we're practicing insight that leads to wisdom which frees us, we do need to include, if you will, a study of the mind. It can't be said enough times that we're not trying to get rid of thinking. We're not trying to get rid of thinking. Um, Meditators, uh, and I include myself in that, have been subject to this so many times in the past, and even still on retreat, I I fall back into this. Um, We often develop an aversion to our own thoughts, right? You've seen, I mean, you've been here long enough that many of you would, I would assume, confirm that. Sometimes we uh, develop this aversion coupled with an additional layer of self-criticism when we catch ourselves thinking. Right? It's true. Any of you have seen that also. I just want to point out that that's insight. The seeing of it is insight. That it was there and perceived to be a problem is a matter of perception, which is up for contest, in a sense. Both of which, aversion and self-criticism, are themselves simply aspects of mind. So if we can, re- if we can learn to renounce them, the aversion and the criticism, if you will, leave them out of our experience, then that's great. And when they enter our mind, which in my experience is inevitable, our practice is to note them with gentle awareness. Just note them. Aversion. They have become, in the noting of them, a potential source of awakening. With kind attention, what was once painful or seen as an obstacle to be avoided becomes an impersonal object, subject to the laws of nature. It simply comes and goes. We use language like it rises and passes away. It just comes and goes. and doesn't, on its own, have any positive or negative value. That's something that we're adding. As such, it also doesn't pose any threat. So even the aversion, even the self-criticism, in the end, is not a threat, is not a problem. So I think we are, in a way, trying to become friendly with all things. And this is one of the reasons I think metta practice or loving kindness or loving friendliness is so important for the development of insight. One of the views that is easy to fall into is that certain kinds of experiences are more suitable to waking up than others. That is just not true. So let's just sit with that for a minute. 
not out loud, but just just in your own reflection, quiet reflection, do you hold the idea that certain kinds of experiences are more suitable to the goals you've set for yourself, for the path of insight? Now, there are instances, there are instances in practice where certain helpful mind states precede other helpful mind states. And there are, there are a, a numerous Buddhist maps that show this. For example, that energy precedes joy and how joy precedes tranquility. I've also found this to be true. Yet it's also true that a skillful response, known as wise effort, to any experience can land us in the domain of a wholesome or healthy mind state. So we're never very far from what we seek, no matter how much confusion or suffering. But we often feel so far. And then there's the you know, whatever, like, and how could I be so far on day four or day three or day five, right? What we're studying in our investigation of mind is how the way we relate or respond to objects either creates more suffering or paves a way for well-being. One way of relating to this is to make a distinction between content and process. And for me, I can remember where I was um, when um, a reflection of this started to come into focus, how revealing uh, this was, the way it um, instructed me in, in, in some way with regard to what we were actually doing. What are we actually talking about in this practice of the third foundation of mindfulness? The content of our mind, stories, ideas, beliefs, attachments, views about ourselves, others. And what comes from them, contentment, contraction, worry, stress, fear, quickly, very, very quickly, most often, you know, particularly if we're not practicing or not paying attention, particularly, you know, like without us even knowing, they very quickly enmesh us in our habitual ways of relating or reacting, both in daily life and in meditation practice. Typically, this means that we suffer. So if we're suffering, we can assume that something like this is happening. Whereas curious, kind attention Content in observation, content in observation, 
both sees the nature of mind while enjoying the fruits of non-attachment. We are not investigating the content. We are not seeking through conventional analysis psychological truths about our life. That has value and there are places and times to do that and psychological truths about our life will arise on their own during meditation practice. But we're not trying to do that work necessarily. To see the nature of mind is to recognize directly that impersonal objects arise and pass away and that no one is controlling this. There is no driver behind the wheel. If I were a Zen teacher, I would say, there's not even a wheel. If we look closely, no experience can be referenced back to anything or anyone. This is not a theory. Therefore, we can't accurately say that something is happening to us either. This us or I is unlocatable. Yes, there are pleasant and unpleasant mental and physical phenomena, true. And yes, there is awareness that knows or sees this, true. This awareness itself can be known or experienced directly. It is what is cultivated in practice, but we do not own it. We do not possess it. Nor are we able to control it. It too, as your practice has probably shown you already, is also impermanent. And therefore, we should not cling to that which feels good. We should not cling to our insight. We should not cling to the helpful, skillful, wholesome mind states. Though we will, and again, then the work is to note the clinging itself. What does it feel like? Probably contracted, tight, claustrophobic. Even awareness itself is impermanent. When we feel the groundlessness of it all, everything becomes more workable. Precisely because the delusion that propped up our craving has temporarily lifted. We just don't have that much control. So the only thing left is direct observation of what's happening. And as it turns out, it's said that this is what frees us. So I'd like to do a very short experiment. If you uh, are open to it, you could take your pinky and you can sit however you want and you can put your pinky on your nose. There's a deep teaching right here. <laughs> so that's it, just putting the pinky on the nose. And then I'd like to 
invite you to place your awareness, place your attention on the sensation created by the contact between finger and nose. And now keep your attention there without allowing for any other mental or mind experience. Okay, so let that go. Raise your hand if at any moment you were aware of any one thing outside of the sensation created by contact with the pinky in the nose. Okay. So one more. If you um, are comfortable with your eyes closed, go ahead and close your eyes. It's perfectly uh, fine to have your eyes open. Now, I want you to try really hard for this one. Harder than the last time. <laughs> try really hard not to imagine or visualize Vinny in a pink dress riding a purple dinosaur. <laughs> if you did imagine or visualize Vinny in a pink dress riding a purple dinosaur. Put your hand down if you were at Burning Man 2004. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So last question. Did you criticize yourself at all for visualizing Vinny in a pink dress riding a purple dinosaur? Probably not. Most people know. It's not an entirely impractical question. What if you met all the unwanted and unintended mental formations to be as unsubstantial as your inability to keep an image like this out of your own mind? I'll just mention, uh, and this is a short, this is intentionally a short list, and in giving it to you, I want to say that it's not a complete list. Just mention a few activities or qualities of mind. Um, activities is a translation that we get from Biko Analio, and, and um, sort of characteristics of mind. So, three that uh, tend to show up often reoccurring in our practice is wanting, not wanting, and distraction, which we can think of as any manner of thinking. It's like, you know, proliferation of thought. So, wanting, not wanting, and thinking. Okay. And, and, and many people will just boil the third foundation down to that. Again, that's a, you know, it's a simplified and short incomplete list, but it's, it's a good one because it maps against Vedana, the second foundation. When we are experiencing pleasant, we typically want more or want to keep it or hold it. 
When we're experiencing unpleasant, we typically want to push it away. That's not wanting, aversion. And when we're experiencing something more neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant, um, the mind tends to spin out, it gets distracted easily, it tends to spin out in thinking, right? And then there's some, there's some qualities, uh, contracted, which is like tight, rigid, stuck, uh, distracted, preoccupied or inattentive, or, or there's like a vague feeling or far away, you're really far away from the object. Some people say I'm really far away from myself, right? In confusion, confusion is in the distracted category. And then there's, and then there's two that, that border on the pleasant, contentment, and then uh, another category, still and spaciousness. And still or spaciousness are the opposite of contracted, okay? Wanting, not wanting, thinking. Contracted, distracted, contentment, and still or spaciousness. Okay? So uh, let's work with that a little bit together. Okay, so go ahead and um, take a posture that feels easeful. As you bring your attention to the present moment, uh, given the different teachings that you heard in your own experience, simply become aware of the body in some way, some way that's working for you. Noticing the breath, noticing the hips making contact with the cushion or the chair, or the way the outer ankles press into the zabuton, Becoming aware of the body, allowing awareness of body to return you to present time awareness, making a commitment to let the ideas and the theories and uh, the reflections go. They're, They're in the past, they're stored in you in a particular way, the way we hold the Dharma to be tested by practice but we don't need to think about them anymore. Maybe noticing the hands resting on the legs or how the left hand touches the right hand if if you sit with the hands crossed. You might notice Vedana, you might notice if there's pleasant or unpleasant. If there's nothing representing these polar, these typically distinct and polar opposites, pleasant and unpleasant, we can just call this neutral. You don't have to look too hard here. It's just offer that as a possibility. 
And you can keep your attention uh, grounded or rooted in, in the body. Maybe, um, maybe there's a light touch, attention resting gently on the body, the body um, providing a kind of anchor or, or home base in a way, a way of contacting the present moment. while at the same time the attention is a bit more expansive to include the possibility of noticing any variety of mental formation. And you don't have to work too hard at this. And maybe you won't even notice any. And that would be fine. you find yourself working really hard to understand this or to notice some new detail in the mind, you might just note striving or trying. This is also a characteristic of mind. And maybe a thought passes through. You can just acknowledge that. Maybe this kind of guided practice is annoying a little bit, a little bit too much talking. We prefer it to be quiet. So you just note frustration or not wanting. Just see what the mind's up to. you get caught in some kind of a tangent, just thinking, I actually use tangent as a label when I've spun out really far and I've lost track of time and I really got pulled away. I use, I use thought for passing thoughts that move pretty quickly but then they pass away. So just resting in the solid, rooted, grounded earthiness of the body, light contact with the body, content in observing whatever passes through the mental landscape. simply allowing mental formations to reveal themselves to awareness.
not trying to make any kind of experience happen, not pushing any kind of experience away. In the space between pushing and pulling, you're already more free. open to noticing any of the different qualities of mind should they arise in your experience. Such as stillness or a felt sense of spaciousness or expansion in the mind. Or the opposite, something that feels tight, rigid, stuck. The distracted mind tends to get preoccupied. So instead of watching different objects or different mental formations come and go, the distracted mind tends to get preoccupied on one object, kind of roots down in craving. And it's, it's not the connected to an object by way of concentration, but a, a craving obsession. Distraction has the quality of uh, inattention, um, or a, there's a vagueness, or like a far away feeling. Far away. You could even just, if this is has any um, resemblance to your own experience, you could even just note far away, feel far away.
And confusion is, is, is there because sometimes we just don't know what we're doing. We really don't. We really were hearing the teachings and it's like, what are we doing? I don't know where to put my attention. This is just confusion. And as Cheryl has said so many times, so clearly, when you're aware, you're not stuck in it. So if being aware of confusion cuts dramatically the confusion. Because you're not confused that you're confused. You just see it. Direct, embodied awareness. Right now, I'm frustrated. Right now, I'm confused. Right now, everything is okay. Contentment 